This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he's the King Lou to my cookie, Perry Cyber. <laughs> or, okay, yeah. yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. I don't mind that. I, I mean, you could have been the first cow. That's good for me. You probably bake better than I do. Maybe, maybe. I, I just knew none of us wanted to be the first cow. And, and absolutely no one wanted to be the second cow. So nobody, And also, nobody wants to be Toby Jones either. Nope. Nobody wants to be Toby Jones. Uh, we are today going to be continuing our 2020 catch-up. We're talking about three films. First Cow, Minari, and Nomadland. Very excited to talk about these three movies. But Perry, first, as always, what have you been watching? What haven't I been watching, Chris? Oh my word. I have watched so much stuff in the last two weeks. Uh, and I guess in order to keep this on some sort of track, I'm just going to talk about things on HBO Max. Uh, on the good side of the ledger, no, let's start with the bad side of the ledger. Uh, boy, uh, The Little Things is not good. And then on the good side of the ledger... <laughs> Never rarely, sometimes always, I finally caught up with, and in addition to being my favorite title of the year, especially after seeing the film, uh, that's a really good movie. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind doubling back and talking more about it at length at some point. If you haven't checked it out, it is on HBO Max at this point. Uh, it was the Sundance Darling last year, and uh, boy, you can see why. It's really well done. And then most personally exciting for me... We've certainly spent a lot of time talking about the work of Steven Soderbergh on, on this podcast, and uh, there is one giant uh, missing blank for me in his in his work, and it's it's the Nick, and the Nick his Showtime his Cinemax series showed up on HBO Max two days ago, <laughs> so I am thrilled. I am two episodes in. I'm trying to keep some sense of perspective, doling it out an episode at a time rather than binging all twenty episodes in one sitting. Uh, but boy, that is that is a rough sit, Chris. I don't know if you've seen any of the Nick, but it is um, that is that is purposefully uncomfortable in really good ways. I, I'm enjoying it tremendously. Two episodes in, I have not seen the Nick because I do not have Showtime, so now I will have the chance to watch that. Um, I know they're working actually on a third season without Soderbergh. But yeah, uh, but it is Barry Jenkins and Andre Holland, two people who I do like. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the Nick, though, but I may have to add it. I have also not seen Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. But I was actually going to suggest that be one of our catch-up titles before the Oscars, because I know I need to get into that. So uh, look for that in a future episode. We can definitely double back and talk about that. I would be into that. I have not seen The Little Things because... I have heard little good things about the little good about the little things. So I, I think I'll, uh, I'll hold off on that for right now. Usually you're the one who takes TV on these. Um, I have actually been the last few days, very excited because Disney plus finally got access to all five seasons of the Muppet show. 
And uh, so I have been watching those with my kids over the last few days. I've been very excited about this. It's um, I think in the past, the DVDs were only out for the first three seasons. And it's one of those things where rights issues kind of made me think that it would never, it would never get out there. But if anyone had the money, Disney would. And it, it was kind of this, this ugly missing spot in their Muppet collection, how they had most of the movies, all these shorts and no Muppet show, which is like the crown jewel of the Muppets. And so all five seasons, um, I think there's a few sketches missing, two episodes missing. Um, and they, some of them come with a disclaimer that they are outdated and a little culturally insensitive, but uh, I've been having a great time watching them. Uh, and my, my kids, it's kind of, it kind of varies based on the episode because they don't know who Jim Neighbors is. They don't, they don't, they don't care about Jim Neighbors, but uh, you know, they liked, we watched the Alice Cooper one and they enjoyed the Alice Cooper one and the Steve Martin one. And I've come to enjoy the fact that I think the Muppet theater, the Muppet theater, I think is the greatest illusion in TV. Uh, the fact that there is this, little place that feels it feels very real uh it, it, it's this very real creation that just with some very clever angles uh some really you know smart sets it feels like a real location i can tell you i could stand on that stage and tell you where in relation to that statler and waldorf sit uh, how far back the auditorium goes. If you walk out stage right, you're going to end up backstage and there's the upstairs area. Uh, and it's this area that never existed. It's this little puppet stage that they make feel real. And I think that sells the whole illusion. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to jumping into these. That is the greatest thing that I know about about Disney+. Plus. Yes, that is, that's an accomplishment. That's a get. That is very cool, and I love the fact that your kids have no idea who Jim Neighbors is but are into Alice Cooper. This makes me personally happy. They loved the Alice Cooper episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun for them. My my son was running around <laughs> making Sign of the Devil and everything, and it, it was pretty great. So we're going to switch gears, and we are going to continue what we've been doing the last few months. It is catching up on some of our 2020 releases. And this week's is really really weird for a couple reasons. One is I, I, there is such a weird gulf between when first cow was released and everyone was talking about first cow, which was, I want to say early to mid 2020. And then Minari and Nomadland are both releases that just recently within the last few weeks came out. Uh, the only thing making them 2020 releases is they showed up at, uh, at some film festivals. And I think Minari got a very small release Nomadland might have gotten a very tiny release too. Uh, so there, for a lot of people, they are 2021 releases. First Cow, way back, I believe at Sundance last year is when it came out. Um, three very, uh, very interesting movies. Uh, First Cow is by Kelly Riker. It it follows two, two people in uh, California in the 1800s. I believe it's California, uh, who team up and... Uh, decide to go into business themselves with the help of a wealthy landowner's cow. Minari is by Isaac Lee Chung, and it stars Stephen Yoon as the head of a Korean-American family who move out to Arkansas from California to open a family farm. And then Nomadland is Chloe Zhao's latest film, 
and it follows Frances McDormand as Fern, a woman who loses her husband and her town and decides to strike out in just in van life, um, living alongside American nomads. Uh, three films that on the surface seem very different, but Perry, these are three films that when I, when I finally saw all three of them, I was like, oh, these are films that actually have a lot to uh, complement each other in. So I'm very curious to know what you thought about them. I will start wherever you want to start. Uh, Let's start with First Cow. I see no reason not to start with First Cow. It's got First right there in the title. Uh, uh, This is the news from Kelly Reichert, who is very much an acquired taste. You either have it or you don't. I have it, although I don't have it in spades. I don't love everything Kelly Reichert has done, but man, there aren't too many people alive who just enjoy showing people in natural landscapes. And she doesn't make them pretty, and she doesn't make them ugly. They are just people who exist in the world, the world that we recognize and their own worlds. That's pretty much consistent through all of her work. And, uh, this was uh, this was co-written with her longtime co-writer uh, Jonathan Raymond, who also co-wrote uh, Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy, and I believe Meek's Cutoff, uh, three of her earlier movies. And it is uh, it feels this is so weird to say it feels like a novel. <laughs> it does not, and at the same time, it's incredibly cinematic. You spend so much time with not a lot going on. Um, and that sounds like a bad thing. And it it is not. <laughs> you spend a good, what feels like 45 minutes of this movie before any notion of a plot kicks in. Or any attempt of the characters trying to do anything other than just survive. Uh, and that's intriguing. I think it will try some people's patience. But uh, I think it's certainly worth it <laughs> because, boy, like the next 45 minutes is, for Kelly Reichert, rollicking. <laughs> That's not to say it jumps right out and, <laughs> and gets all in your face. But, man, the second act of this movie is funny. It's charming. Uh, it is just as cinematically beguiling as the first 45 minutes. This is a, as all of Kelly Reichardt's films are, this is a pleasure to just look at without being picture postcard beautiful. Uh, I The leads are great. J- uh, John Magaro plays Cookie. Uh, and he is the, he's, he's the one with the talent. He has, he has, he's apprenticed as a baker he meets up in uh, in what can only be described as a Kelly Reichart meet cute. The uh, his 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 uh, business partner, uh, played by Orion Lee King Lou, and uh, King Lou is the outgoing one, and together they make a really great pair, uh, both as friends and as business partners. And it is fascinating to watch this. It, it's not even a meditation. That's not even the right word for it because it really isn't that slow and it isn't that it it doesn't it doesn't meander uh but it really brings up questions about economics capitalism friendship uh uh loyalty 
Uh, and I believe there's the great quote that's in the middle of it. That's I forget who it's stolen from, but that uh, you know, at the at the at the beginning of every great fortune lies a crime, and that is that is something that uh, that certainly plays out in this movie. Yeah, I'm 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 a little embarrassed how long it took me to get around to watching this. Um, I think a lot of it was because I have seen a little bit of Kelly Reichardt's uh, work and I like, I, I think I've seen Wendy and Lucy. I think that's the, that might be the only one I've seen and I enjoyed it, but I knew going into first cow, it would be a very deliberate experience. Um, and, and so I think I kind of held it off. Even when a screener arrived, it was always the one that kind of made its way to the back of the pile. And I think it was this just dumb thing with me, which was, I'm not, I don't want to watch a movie called first cow. I can see it's, it's a cow right there. I don't know what to do with this. I, I, it's hard to drum up excitement for first cow. Um, and I, shame on me, shame on me for that, because I, I loved this movie. I, I really, it's, I mean, you summed it up really well. This is a very simple movie. It's, you know, I, I was able to explain the story to my wife later. She asked what I was watching and I'm like, oh, it's First Cow. And she's like, what's it about? And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, it's kind of about capitalism. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's about two guys who steal, you know, milk from a cow to make donuts. And, <laughs> you know, in, in the old West. Yes. And it is on the surface that simple. It's it's Kelly Reichert's Oceans 2. Um, you know, it's her heist film in a way. It's a very... <laughs> simple story but in this little simple story which is like you you said very charming i love the chemistry between orion lee and john magaro i I think they are so much fun to watch it does touch on so much about like as you said friendship capitalism there is you know this this commentary running through about having enough and you know, the desire to just get a little bit more and how that might be a damning thing. Uh, but it is also funny. It's very sweet. And yeah, I mean, this is a movie I, I also kind of cringed because I was like, oh, it's over two hours long. I got to sit aside two hours and two minutes for this. And it passed by so quickly. I I, I really liked this. I And I wanted some oily cakes when it was done. It is. The, I, I love A.O. Scott's description that they are obviously the cronuts of their time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My wife got me a cookbook for Christmas that is cooking famous uh, meals from movies. And it has like, you know, the feast from Babette's Feast, which I'm never going to get around to making. But it has the the sandwich from Spanglish, which is the one. Do you have it? I think I have this book. Does it have the uh, does it have the fried egg in the bread from Moonstruck? Oh, I'm not sure about that, but it definitely has the the sandwich from Spangler. I might have a different, but very similar pancakes book. From, um, it has the giant pancakes from Uncle Buck, and it has that disgusting breakfast that's like spaghetti and Pop-Tarts and stuff from Elf. But then it also <laughs> has, you know, the Italian feast from Goodfellas and things like that. Um, so it, I, I've been wanting to cook a little bit more, but now I need to cra- track down the oily cakes recipe and make that, make that one morning. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed this. I, it, it says a lot in a very succinct, simple way. It's, you, you know, you leave thinking this was just this charming story, but there's a lot that's on her mind as always. I mean, there are themes she's dealt with before too. 
Absolutely. And it, it what was what was really great to see for me with this is that Kelly Reichert has in some of her other films has really tried to tell more of a genre story, right? She, I mean, Meek's Cutoff is a Western, one of the most bleak and depressing experiences you'll ever have, but it's a Western really clearly. She made this thriller called Night Moves and it was one of the most off-putting, like it doesn't work because she it just doesn't come together. The style did not gel with the story. You, it, it screamed for something more than what Kelly Reichardt is comfortable providing. And this has this amazing framing device, which uh, actually links the film directly to Wendy and Lucy. Uh, that is brilliant. Where you know, in in modern day times, these two corpses are stumbled across. These two skeletons are stumbled across, buried deep in the ground. And so you spend the whole movie wondering, okay, which of these two characters is this going to be? How is this going to happen? So even during this incredibly, you know, I don't want to say even leisurely, but, you know, at that Reichert pace, you're wondering the whole time, oh, oh, I'm looking for clues. It makes you pay attention in really a wonderful way that, that very quickly the movie gets you out of it. You're paying attention because of the thriller element. You're not paranoid or worried. You're just trying to puzzle it out enough and you you puzzle it long enough that you just get sucked into this movie's tone and energy and vibe and you just live in it wonderfully yeah i too i loved i love first out i thought it was really great it is uh, it's it's my favorite thing of Rikers. i'm glad you brought up the framing device because i wasn't sure whether it was a spoiler to bring it up or not but it is literally the first thing in the movie um yeah but what i love too is she does set up this kind of mystery with it but she doesn't then like i kept waiting for her to explicitly call back to that which would have been way too much but she just she at the end she suggests you know what happens and how they got there um but throughout the movie she does that too like as they as uh as Cookie and King Lou become a little bit more successful, you just kind of notice their house is getting a little bit bigger. There's there's a little bit more added on to it. There's more people in line. You can fill in the blanks without her kind of spoon feeding it, which I, I appreciated. Um, yeah, I, I did this. I was ashamed that I did not see this before the end of the year because uh, this this is easily one of my top 10 of 2020. I, I really enjoyed this. I'm going to say full disclosure, every movie that we're talking about tonight is, uh, is on my top 10 list. Some of them very high. Um, what I thought was really fascinating too, watching this after having seen Nomadland after seeing Minari, uh, it really does start this whole conversation of three films that have to do with a little bit of, the role economics and capitalism play in our lives, our relationship to the land in a certain place and to other people. Uh, these, these three movies really kind of feed in and out of each other. Absolutely. And the other thing that uh, I really love about the movie is that, you know, f- for all of its uh, incredible earthiness, <laughs> as we expect from any Riker film, there is such a sense of pleasure there is there is such joy that everybody experiences when they uh, when they eat those treats, and it is 
amazing that you get a sense of that. I mean, it's a, you know, taste, taste is hard to do in a film. <laughs> and no, I don't know exactly what those things taste like, but I understand how good they are and how much they mean to the people that get to taste them and how much, you know, how much it is you could be living in the hardest possible time you could imagine. And anybody's willing to take, you know, two minutes out and pay a little bit of money to have a wonderful sensory experience. I love that about this movie. There's there's the scene. We haven't really talked much about Toby Jones, except that no one wants to be him. He's but, great. Uh, there, He's there's so that great. great moment. There's that that great moment where he has his uh, his first oily cake and he says it tastes like London. And that says everything you need to know about his reaction and what they're making and Cookie's skill. And I, I really like that. I, I love John Magaro just being very unassuming. And his character is just a very sweet, sweet man, probably not the type of person who is, you know, well prepared to be out there with trappers and hunters. It's it's really almost the start of the hospitality industry starting with him. <laughs> and I really liked him. I loved how um, Orion Lee plays King Lou is this, you know, very warm, very friendly, but also he's going to get him into trouble. You just, you know that. I mean, when you encounter a man running naked, hiding from people who want to kill him, there's probably going to be some trouble he's going to get you into. And it never goes to that place where I thought it was going to go, where suddenly there's this division between them or no. one of them is, you know, suddenly revealed as kind of villainous. It's, it's a very sweet friendship all the way through. That is just also complicated by how they're going to get the, uh, the things they need to make the money. And there's this really interesting commentary too, of the rich people who are being stolen from love the product that's being put out that the people making it, don't have access to the raw materials for. Yes, exactly. It is, yeah, it, it is a really strong piece of, of, of criticism about, about capitalism. And it's really smart about it. And it's really subtle about it. Yeah, I, I, I gosh. I, I mean, this is available now. I think it's on a few cable stations been playing even. You can rent it at most places. I highly recommend go rent first cow. It is hard to miss when you're looking down the list. It's the one with the cow on it. Exactly. (laughs) It is a unforgettable poster. That is true. (laughs) Well, Perry, let's, let's move into Minari now. Um, What did you think of Minari? Let's just start that. Can you tell people what it's about and your impressions of it? Minari is the new film from Lee Isaac Chung, writer-director. I think, I haven't done the full research, but it sure feels uh, at least autobiographically informed. I don't think it's his actual childhood, but uh, I believe it's I believe it's close to parts of his life. Uh, it, uh, there is a father played by Stephen Young who's fabulous in this movie. Uh, it's He's the reason they have moved to Arkansas because he could buy land and he talks about how he just wants to have a garden kind of hiding the fact that what he really wants is a farm. And uh, his wife, uh, Monica, uh, does not want to be there, is not happy she's there. They have an older daughter and a, a young son about six years old. I couldn't, I don't know that they ever say, but he's like five or six, it feels like, uh, named David Uh and David has a heart, he has a, a heart murmur, and so he's not allowed to run. They established that very early on. Uh, and, you know, like First Cow, 
like a Kelly Reichert movie. This is a movie that's very much about the physical world that you inhabit and how you attempt to live within it and utilize it and take advantage of it to the best of your abilities and respect it. And it is, um, this is the one, like you kind of laid off first cow. This was the one that I sadly was like, I, no, I, ah, I'm sure it's very good. Everybody tells me it's very good. And I don't want another uplifting family story. I don't need that. I'm not interested. I'm worried this will be such Oscar bait. And it is not. I mean, it is. It is a heartwarming, wonderful family drama that's also very funny. Very funny. But uh, it is not Oscar bait. It yes. is. It is. Uh, it is less so than the film we're going to talk about next for me. It very much feels like uh, all of those films that came out of Sundance in the early days of Sundance. The Sundance films were always about showing you people and places that you had never seen before in a movie. That was their goal. It wasn't necessarily the greatest story. It didn't matter. It was a really interesting face that you hadn't seen before in a really interesting place you hadn't seen before. That's what drove those early Sundance films. And uh, this feels like that, except it is way more like of the three films we're talking about. It is easily the most uh, accessible and commercial. It is a film that I would recommend to anybody. Yes. Without hesitation. You want to know what's good to see, and I don't know anything about you. I will tell you, oh, watch Minari. You, I can't believe you wouldn't enjoy this. As long as you're a sentient human being who cares about people, I can't believe you wouldn't like Minari. <laughs> um, and it is. It's all about, uh, it's all about this, uh, the amazing family dynamic. I love the film because it, you, it's not really one person's point of view. It does, again, feel like a novel with a narrator. It doesn't have voiceover. I don't mean to imply that it does. But you really, throughout the film, everybody's uh, everybody's frame for what's going on is understood. And you are sympathetic to all of them. Even when there are really awful disagreements and... Uh, and loggerheads that are arrived at between characters that we've grown to, to really care about. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really good piece of work. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I this is, I, I didn't resist this one. I remember seeing the trailer for it though, back in the old days when I could go to the movies. Um, and, and I remember seeing it and thinking, okay, that's either going to be something I really like, or it's going to be unbearable um, because I, 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 there, there was that sense that I know I've seen this movie before. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it is. It is very honest. And I think it comes, you know, there are moments of uplift, but I think it comes by those. Honestly, uh, like you said, it, it is many people telling this story and there is not a right and a wrong. Um, you know, Steven Yoon's character, we understand why he wants to leave California, leave the city where he, you know, he's paying for rent. That's just going to keep going up. He doesn't have anything that his own is his own. He wants to go start a farm. We understand and feel why his wife would think that is a bad idea. No one's right or wrong in that. It, it, but that tension comes out and, you know, so it, it's really about, how do you support your family through this? When do you learn to give and take a bit? Um, there's also just the the wonderful immigrant story in this, the story yes. of assimilation of, of culture that 
was when I started cringing because there's a grandmother character that's brought in and it starts setting up these seeds where the young kid does not, you know, doesn't want anything to do with that culture, with the, with their home culture. And I kind of was bracing myself for the, you know, just, just the very pat, you know, learn to respect your culture, but there is this wonderful lens. It views everything through where, you understand how American culture has conditioned this kid to understand what a grandma is like. And he knows this is not normal. And it kind of wrestles with his relationship there, but the grandma starts to uh, starts to assimilate. And she, she picks up some things she loves about American culture that I'm not going to mention because I don't want to spoil it (laughs) because it made me laugh very hard. Um, but it is this, you know, this give and take. It's not this step by step. One day there's just this epiphany where American culture is bad, Korean culture is good. It's how do you hold on to, you know, that that culture that is part of your family, but also how do you move forward in this new world and, and can they mingle? Um, there's also I I really appreciated the depiction of religion in this movie. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a church that they join up with and I haven't seen Isaac Lee Chung's previous movie. Uh, Miriangabo. Um, I cannot pronounce the title, but I know it was a movie he, he made after having like a really strong experience on a youth group trip. So I know he's grown up. In fact, when they're they're when they're at the potluck at a church, there is a song playing <laughs> in the background. It is Michael W. Smith's friend. That is the song you would have heard at every church potluck in the 1980s. I knew that song. I had friends who sang that song. <laughs> but I like the depiction in that it's not one-sided. So there is this this church group that looks at this family and doesn't know how to respond kind of responds a little awkwardly, maybe a little wrongly there, you know, there's, they're friendly, but they also see there is something other about this family and the film allows that discomfort, but also sets up this thread where this church is an important part of the family's life. And then you have Will Patton, who I love in everything I see. Yeah. Who plays the very charismatic um, farmhand who they hire on. And what I love is he gets the depiction of American faith in this kind of weird out there exotic thing that is really charismatic and weird. And I like that that's normally how the American film would treat another culture. And you get to look at the American (laughs) faith as this weird thing. Um, It's there's so much going on here. And I love that these stakes in this from our perspective are so small, like you know, it's do they oh. have water? Can they have water? But they're these small stakes that we might think in a movie. Oh, well, that's the plot of the movie. They don't have water. No, I mean, that is life or death. If they can't pay for their water, if they can't tap into that, it is about that, you know, this decision that this is our life. We're going to work the land and that's going to be vital to our survival as not just, you know, whether can we stay on this land, but it's the survival of our family unit whether that will keep us together. Yeah. Uh, I would, ar- I, I would argue that at no point did I feel that the stakes were low. Honestly, this felt, this feels really, and it's, it's because the, the husband and wife relationship from the beginning is fraught. 
Like this always feels like this could go off the rails. You're not by any means guaranteed a happy ending in this movie. That's really clear right up front. Uh, which is not yeah. to say that on the way you won't laugh a lot. I don't want to undersell it. There's a lot of laugh out loud stuff in this movie. Really funny stuff for, in all kinds of different ways. Everything from the intensity of Will Patton's character's faith to, uh, to the stuff with grandma. Uh, and the point at, and the stuff about, I mean, what movie, what's the last time you saw a movie where a five-year-old boy wanted nothing to do with his grandmother? Just that dynamic is funny. And I haven't, I can't, I couldn't tell you the last time I've seen that in a movie. I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Not one that you're supposed to spend that much time with, though, you know, grandma is set up as some sort of comedic figure of ridicule, which she is not in this movie by any means. That's fascinating. And to watch how that develops is fascinating. Well, maybe not a kid who doesn't want to be around his grandma. But Perry, have you seen this year's or last year's hit, The War with Grandpa? <laughs> I, I, I uh, no, no, I have not. But I did see <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> and that should count for something, right? Uh, it counts for uh, something. Sacrifice. I, I haven't seen it. I've read the book. But, oh, oh! Yeah, no, I, I you put really, in more time than I did in that world, my friend. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that offline. Um, yes, let's. But, uh, yeah, no, I. I mean, even when the movie starts to take some, like I, I don't want to say plottier routes, but there are incidents that happen at the end that are big and can feel like in the wrong hands could feel very melodramatic, but it feels very natural. The, the predicament that happens at the end of the movie. Uh, I, I feel like it's been woven in there. It, nothing ever feels too obvious or too, too rote. There, there's not a formula this is working from. And yet it never feels off-puttingly experimental in a way. Like, like you said, anyone can see this and they're going to love it. Thoroughly, a thorough, and I, again, I don't, I mean this in without any ounce of pejorative on it. It's a commercial film. There's nothing mm-hmm. not to like or that is appealing about this movie. It is, if anybody sits down to watch it, you you will immediately like these people. I mean, I, I will use all the phrases that I can't say when other people use them. This is a movie with just an abundance of heart. <laughs> this is a movie that is full of likable people they're they're flawed they're not getting along all the time as much as you want them to but you care about each and every person in this world and that's that's marvelous it is such a beautiful little slice of 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 humanism what i love and it reminds me of it's the same thing i felt about the farewell last year which listeners will know was one of my favorite movies of last year it's this this thing that movies i love it when movies nail this where it's such a specific story to a specific person and a specific culture. And yet because it's so invested in those specificities, it's universal. Yeah. So y- you've never been, I've never been a Korean farmer, but man, did I, did I understand that, that fear that comes when you can't pay the bills and you are supposed to be the family's provider or when there's a relationship that's just so tense and you don't want the kids to see that and you don't want to uh you don't want to fail um or yeah yeah this is just it's a movie that like you said it's it's very universal people 
I, I think this is one I would recommend to anyone as well. It's so going from Minari, uh, which is all about, you know, putting down, literally putting down roots, but having a relationship with a spot of land. Uh, now we go to nomad land, which almost feels the opposite. It's about being uprooted. Yes. It's, it's about checking out of the American dream. Uh, this is Chloe Zhao's latest movie. Um, it stars Frances McDormand as Fern. She's a woman who her husband has passed on. The town she lives in has actually disincorporated. And she decides she is going to, you know, she she's going to kind of check out of the normal, you know, American dream type life. She's going to begin living in her van. She picks up work, you know, work throughout the nation, different spots where she can get it. Occasionally she meets up with uh, certain people at campsites or on the road. Um, and then she moves on and it's, it's following her as she moves on with this new phase of her life. Uh, this is based on a nonfiction book, uh, that actually, you know, examined that type of living. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this cause I know we didn't, we didn't come to the same conclusion on this movie. Nomadland was my number one movie of 2020. Um, I, I really, I, I was really taken by this. I, I have not seen Chloe Zhao's uh, previous film, The Writer, um, but I really was taken by this story of life kind of on the fringes. Um, I think Frances McDormand is fantastic as Fern. I, I really like she's just she's just one of those actresses who you can tell exactly what she's thinking without her having to say a word. She doesn't say a ton in this movie. She's fairly silent. Um, but I loved watching her travel, pick up these random jobs and then meet with people who many of them are not professional actors. They're people who are actually out living this nomad life. And all of them are. Well, all of them, except for one there. Well, yes, David, David Strathern is the only other, but But, everybody else is the actual playing a version of themselves. They are called by their actual names and they are people who were profiled in the book and in the magazine article that spawned the book. And and I really I just I loved I loved the encounters she has, but I loved the look of this. There's a very gorgeous kind of ethereal look to this that reminded me kind of of Malik in in some scenes. Uh, I, I got a Tree of Life vibe from a lot of it, um, which might be intentional. Uh, but I I really enjoyed this. I it, it's been a few weeks since I've seen it, so the specifics are not all there. But I'm sure they'll come back as we talk about it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed this movie, but I know you had your reservations. So let's start there. Well, let's, let's, let's understand when I say reservations, I mean why it isn't my favorite film of the year and why I, I am, I, it is an excellent piece of work. Don't get me wrong. But for me, I, 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 I just, just for example, I kind of pref- I I would I would put the other two films we've talked about above this one for me personally just for the year and I haven't made up a year end list I'll do it around the time of the Oscar nominations I'm not worried about it until then um, for me this feels like I I I feel like I can see exactly the concoction this is and I wrote this down so I'm not just copying you I swear this is exactly what I was going to say. This is what would this is what a Terrence Malick film would look like if Terrence Malick was making films uh, during the Italian neorealism movement. That's what this is. It is uh, you know the the Italian neorealists 
shot these amazing small human stories in the bombed out landscape of Italian cities post-World War II. That's what they did. They grabbed a camera and they filmed. They weren't pretty. They were gritty. They told gritty human stories about people who were living in rubble. And they're great movies. <laughs> it's like one, one of the great film movements in history. This could choose that route. And it it is that in that it is, as we talked about, with the exception of two of the finest actors on the planet, all non-professional actors playing themselves, he says in air quotes. Uh, but yes, it looks like a Malick film. It is picture postcard, beautiful, or at least striking in every way. Unlike First Cow, which feels lived in and real. And that's, I, I, that I'm not knocking. I'm simply saying it's a different approach. It is, mm. it, it, and it takes that approach because it wants to, it wants to uh, exalt in Fern's choice. It wants to celebrate that these people are not, as is said early in the film, they're not homeless, they're houseless. They're, they are, this, it is done so that the characters that she, that, that we are watching her interact with and we, as we watch her, it imbues them with a nobility that the film wants to communicate. And that's fascinating from a cinematic standpoint. I think that's, I, I, you know, that is, that is a, I, I can't remember a mix quite like this. <laughs> I can't remember anybody who's tried to fuse the Italian neorealists mm-hmm. and Terrence Malick before. Uh, although you could see where this is going if you've seen the writer. <laughs> the writer also is very dependent on really beautiful outdoor photography. Um, and so I was left with, like, this feels also, like I said, this feels like if, if, if Malick had made a film at Sundance in the early 90s as a first film. That's what this feels like again. And it just feels to me... I know this is an awful thing to say, but comparatively, especially to these other two films, it feels so much more polished. <laughs> and in a way that keeps me removed from it. It's, 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 I, I, McDormand is wonderful. David Strathern is wonderful. You're right. I love watching these interactions that are so small, but I never I never felt like I was in a place like I did in First Cow, and I never cared for the people on screen as much as I did for Minari, <laughs> which is simply to say, that, and I'm only comparing them because those are the three films we talked about. You know, I, I, I am not asking, I'm not asking you to beat those other two films. It just felt funny when we, when we landed on these three films together. I was like, oh, the other two point out exactly where Nomadland just falls short for me. It will be in my best year-end list, undoubtedly. I just don't have the gushing love for it that a lot of people do. I admire it. I don't love it. I, you know, and I'm not going to disagree with anything you said because I I see exactly what you're saying with the Italian neorealism, with Malick, that kind of fusion. and, And when I say this was my number one movie of the year, I should also be honest and say, Minari was my number two of the year. Like, oh, there you go. Like, there you go. I saw, yeah, I mean, Minari was was there, and then I just saw First Cow this past weekend. Actually, I literally saw it yesterday as we're recording, and at that point, I was like, oh, First Cow should have been, like, at least six or seven on my list, and, uh, <laughs> and my list is still in flux because we don't, 
we don't even vote for our critics group until next week. And so I'm still week after week around. after um, week I, I after, dude, we still got two weeks. <laughs> okay. We can have, we'll split. The, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So my, my list <laughs> is still in flux, um, but Nomadland, I think it is something about, it, it is a, a more polished film than the other two. And it feels, you know, a little bit, grander in in its cinematography and things like that and i think that just it, it's a very personal thing it spoke to me that way yeah. uh, there is a monologue that that someone has in this movie it's a one of the friends of ferns and she's this lady who is dying and she has this gorgeous monologue about the swallows and it was my favorite moment of film in 2020 um and and told without any visual just just a camera on this person's face and you know exactly what she's saying and i remember thinking through the whole movie i don't want to see the swallows hatching i don't want to see what she's talking about it can't match up to that monologue but then they found a way chloe's out found a way to bring that back later in the movie in a way that it still worked for me it still was as beautiful as that monologue had made it seem and it meant the way she brings it back the timing she uses still meant just as much to me and and i loved that she could she could kind of thwart my expectation that way. Um, I loved just those long moments of Fern, you know, floating in the river or, you know, doing some menial task. Like it's, it's just a very personal thing that, you know, we all, we all go to our different things. We love the things we love. Um, what I also really loved was I began getting worried when uh, David Strathairn, he, he comes in the movie early he shows up a little bit later. And when he showed up again, my, my alerts went off. I'm like, I know where this is going. I don't want this to go there. And I'm expecting like, there's a moment of huge confrontation or something. And there's not the movie does what it does. lets the characters do what they're going to do. And it moves on. And I, I appreciated that. Um, I, I really liked the, the cast that she had here watching these real people. I think, the only time it took me out was when there was a man talking who is kind of a YouTube guru on van life. And uh, every time he showed up, I could kind of feel his YouTube spiel coming out, <laughs> um, which, you know, that's what he does. And that's the person he is. So it didn't bother me, but I, I, I could see, oh yeah, this guy, this guy has a whole YouTube list of, uh, of videos he's done on van life. And I searched and of course he did. Um, but I also, I also really appreciated that while it does kind of, you know, it, it does exalt their decision. It does say there's respect to be found in checking out of the American dream, doing Absolutely. your own thing. Um, it doesn't glamorize this life the way Instagram does. Like if you go on Instagram and you search van life, it is basically beach photos in your van. And this shows the reality. Your car breaks down. What do you do when your house can't move? When your house breaks down on you? Um, what what do you have to do to pay those bills? And so it it did it, it found the it, it found the uh the dignity in this life without saying, hey, it's easy or it's you know, there's no problem. It, it was very real about those as well. I I really enjoyed this and I I enjoyed it more thinking about it alongside these other two movies which really deal i mean these are three movies about you know making a living in america putting down roots in america or choosing not to and 
I, I, you know, it, it would be fascinating to program three of these, these three together at like a film festival. Yeah. And as you were saying about, you know, we like what we like. We, I, my, my, my favorite quote of my favorite version of that quote is, uh, we don't we don't love what we love uh, despite of our prejudices. We love them because of our prejudices. And um, for you know for longtime listeners to us, uh, hi Rob in Chicago. The uh, you know it should be readily apparent why I would sort of retract from this a little bit. It does play with that line of fact and fiction in ways that I don't care for that raise my hackles that put up my defenses and it didn't quite clear them all. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I'm watching the movie going, okay, would it be any different if you hired actors to play all of those parts? No, I think it would still work the same way. And so what is it that you are getting out of that? What is having those real people they're doing for you? And I don't, I, I can't tell. It doesn't bother me. Like it will in other films. It does. It's not a knock to me. It's just, well, why? <laughs> I don't understand what that brings to you. And so, you know, it's not that I feel they're being exploited. It, it, not at all. I don't mean to imply that that's what I'm saying that, the, that Chloe Zhao is doing here in the slightest. But it is like, that's what you're getting praise for when everything that you've accomplished, you accomplish without any of them, you know, this film works because of Frances McDormand in all those landscapes of watching her and uh, do stuff on her own in her van, you know, understanding the day to day life that she lives, how she repairs things, what is important enough for her to repair. Uh, you know, I don't, I, it is, it, it is, it for me, like I said, it rings that old Sundance bell of, oh no, we're doing this because that's a way to, to showcase what this is. It sets us apart. It is a selling point without being commercial. Uh, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I have I have no objective problem with this movie in the slightest. As we were saying, it's a subjective issue. It's just something that that buzzes for me in a way that is unpleasant. Uh, that uh, that just makes me not love it. I can't give this film my heart as much as I admire what Chloe Zhao's accomplished here. And she's accomplished a great deal. It's a very good movie by all means. Check it out. I would say I, I definitely felt like the casting of non-professionals um, or she would, I think they call them first time actors because they are, you know, they're being paid for this, that they're professional actors in this movie. Um, but I, 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 I did feel there, there was a, I felt an authenticity um, and, and I can see it. You know, when when Fern's talking to one of her neighbors, uh, you know, who who's packing up and moving and never seen again in the film or, you know, a friend she meets up with who gets her a job at a local campground. I, I can see a difference in their performance as opposed to, say, when David Strathairn shows up. And maybe it's just because I know David Strathairn's face and mm-hmm. I've seen him in, you know, a dozen movies. But there is a there, there's kind of a. I don't want to say a grit, but there's an authenticity to their performance that, that feels like you wouldn't quite get that from a more polished actor. And, and I noticed that I felt that, although really, I mean, the, the use of non-professionals was kind of far from my mind until after I saw the movie, uh, it was really the visuals in this movie that took me away. It, it was a gorgeous movie. Um, so much so that I am really tempted 
I, I'm not really in the point where I'm going back to theaters yet, but I know that Nomadland is playing in IMAX right now. <laughs> and I would love to go see that in IMAX. I would love for people to see this film in IMAX. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it, it really is just taking in those vistas, taking in just so much of the American landscape. I, I loved soaking in this and I was really kind of bummed that the way I had to see it was on my computer laptop um, because it, it was such a screener that I couldn't even plug my laptop into my TV without getting rejected. Like they were like, nope, you've got to watch this on your laptop. And I'm like, damn you. Um, so, so yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's, I found it gorgeous and poetic. Um, Frances McDormand. I just, everything she does, I love. Um and she just like if you're going to get one an actress to play this role, you're going to get Frances McDormand. She's yes, she has, she she's just she has that look that fits into this. She's she's weathered. She's you know she's rough, and she's also just such a joy to always watch. Um, she looks like a real person. She looks like a real mm-hmm. person, just like David Strathairn does, <laughs> who is one of my favorite actors yeah. as well, and I. I, I, I guess it's my own prejudice. I much more in, I much, I got much more out of their sequences together than McDormand interacting with the quote unquote real people. I would, I, I am way more comfortable in that space and that's, and yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just, that's perfectly put. Your mileage is different and everybody's will be. I, yes, I, I I want to say again, I am not knocking the movie. I think the movie's really strong and very much worth your time. And I will be happy if it, if it does really well come award season, but they're just stuff I like better. About the only thing that bummed me out about this was I got really excited to see, Oh man, what does Chloe Zhao have next on the horizon? Oh, I'm so excited to see another original film from her and her next movie. Perry, do you know what it is? I don't. It's a Marvel movie. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Which you will be able to see, I think, later this year. It is The Eternals with uh, Angelina Jolie and Camille Nagiani. And I love that cast. I, I, but I, man, as much as I enjoy a good Marvel movie, I don't want to see Chloe Zhao do a Marvel movie. I I want, like, she's getting sucked into that vortex. And uh, that's, that's kind of a bummer, but I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> but in the meantime, though, uh, if you if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want your next exposure to her to be a Marvel movie, check out Nomadland. It is in IMAX in theaters. But if you want to watch it from home, it is also on Hulu right now. You can watch it, is. it right on Hulu from the comfort of your own home. Uh, watch it on a good TV. But uh yeah, yeah, this is a uh, this is a movie I loved. But Perry, as as we get to the end of this, I loved all three of these. As I've said, these are you can't go wrong with any of these movies. No, these are three great movies. Um, I, I'm very happy if they get any recognition at awards time. I think several of them will, and uh, yeah, we commend them all to you. I I, I wanted to uh, 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 go back to Minari for a second to give a shout out to Stephen Yoon, who is really truly excellent in here and uh and has made some fantastic career choices over the last two three years he's been in some really good movies and given really strong performances and the other thing i wanted to to say about it which i did not know going in it is uh 
it's uh it's a plan B. It's a Brad Pitt exec produced thing. And I will say that Brad Pitt look look for the look for the plan B title on any movie. They are making spectacular mm-hmm. choices about what to back and they know how to make this and that also uh you know that's seeing that there reminded me of you know it looks like he learned exactly what he needed to learn from Terrence Malick <laughs> on Tree of Life. <laughs> he he knew how to take from Malick what will work really well in other settings. Uh yeah, I just want I just wanted to go back to that for for a second. Yeah, they they've come a long way from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh I think just I'm looking at their list of plan B movies in the last few years. Uh several of which we've talked about. Uh Ad Astra, yeah. Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh If Beale Street Big Short. Talk, uh Kajillionaire, which yeah, yeah. Wow, those are those are all great movies. Moonlight. Um yeah, yeah and I didn't know he was involved. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, they're they're making good choices. Uh and I did not know he Fantastic. was involved either until I saw his name. So that brings us to the end. Perry, where can people find you? You can hear me every Friday morning talk with Lucy Ann Lance on the Lucy Ann Lance show on WLBY in Ann Arbor. You can find me on Facebook. I am Perry Loves Film at Twitter. You can hear me uh, Friday night, the Friday this drops, I will be on another episode of Cathode Ray Mission uh, doing a deep dive through the wonderful, maybe the greatest one and done series of all time, Freaks and Geeks. Oh, Oh, I, I will listen to that. I've been watching that on Hulu and really enjoying that. Oh, have you seen it before? Uh, yes, I have. I used to have okay, uh, good. the uh, the saddest, the maddest I've ever gotten was I had the box set. And then it was on Netflix and we had a garage sale and I sold it thinking, well, oh. it's on Netflix. You know, nope. I don't need the box set anymore. It was the dumbest decision. <laughs> it, it really shored up my belief. Nope. Do physical media. Because my Freaks and Geeks box set was gone, and then it yep. was off Netflix in like a year. Um, close to crying. Freaks and Geeks is a treasure. I, I I love Freaks and Geeks. I really like Undeclared as well. Um, yes. And, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So I want to listen to that. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Chrysicisms. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can subscribe to my newsletter, which is chrysicisms.substack.com. And you can listen to me about once a month. I do a podcast called Cross Culture Critic, which is kind of a pop culture, hangout, faith type podcast. Um, And that's about it for right now. I have some other things in the pipeline that maybe I can talk about on the next podcast. Perry, I will see you in two weeks. Look forward to it.